ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clown. I'm joined this time by only one other member of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, but he is the heart and soul of our crew, Mr. Cicero Holmes. Hello, sir. Mariner has taken all the rest of our crew and left them stuck in the holodeck. <laughs> oh, man. So much to, to talk about this. So the, the last time that we got together with the full house was to discuss the first two episodes of Lower Decks. And, um, you know, we were planning on making that a regular thing. And then uh, – Things just got out of hand again. This is probably one of the most irregular podcasts I've ever uh, been a part of, and it's entirely my fault. I take full responsibility. But you know, as as a lot of people know, um, Rachel and I moved across the country, so we've got a time zone change to deal with. We're trying to sleep train our baby, which is is an ordeal in and of itself. Right. <laughs> uh, so that has sort of forced debrief off to the side, much to our chagrin, I assure you. But at the time we're recording this, so we're recording this right now on the evening of October 14th, which means that we are less than 24 hours away from the season three premiere of Star Trek Discovery in a whole new time frame and a whole new set of circumstances. And I'm psyched about it. But um, Cicero, man, it's we have to check in with you. What have you been up to for God, time is a flat circle. When was the yes. last time we talked? I don't even know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what have you been up to, man? In, in the days of the prophet. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, well, first off, Chris, it is quite magnanimous of you to take responsibility for all of 2020. Um, so, so thank you. Thank you very much for that, sir. Um, now I know who to blame. There you go. Uh, yeah. the, I mean, to, to, to my credit though, it's probably someone that looks like me, but mm. <laughs> you know, that's neither here nor there. Right. Neither here nor there. Not quite as handsome. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not as, not as intelligent. So, um, so in the world of Trek, uh, what I've been up to, as as people may remember, uh, I have been watching all of the Star Trek franchise in reverse broadcast order, uh, and we had gotten to Star Trek: The Next Generation, everyone's uh, beloved franchise, um, a franchise that I had I probably seen most of the episodes. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen all of the episodes and I've definitely not seen them in, in broadcast order. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, this has been great. I am on, uh, let's see what episode am I on? I am in season three. Uh, I am the episode before best of both worlds part one. Oh, so you're at the very end. Very, of yeah, three. I'm at the very end of season three. I just finished the um, very bizarre Menage a Troy. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I forget what the next episode is, but uh, 
So, so l- let me ask you, because you've seen now at least what I believe to be the core dividing line between uh, not great TNG in seasons one and two and when it starts to get just awesome in season three. Yeah. But because you have also now seen the whole first season of Picard in its totality, and um, since it's been a while since you've seen these TNG episodes, at least I assume, right. has it been strange for you to absorb this show? Um, what's what's been strange? It has been how much uh, a product, uh, especially like these these episodes. It wasn't until season three that like halfway through season three that an episode aired in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah. So in fact, uh, the defector. Um, this is the one with the Romulan who uh the Romulan officer who defected the general Admiral Gerard. Uh, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh yeah, who defected to Picard in the Enterprise uh was the very first episode of Star Trek in, to take place in the 90s. Um so the first the earlier episodes it struck me like as a time capsule how uh how very much part of the 80s this show was even though it was set in the future and even though it was trying to be incredibly progressive um you know so like that that part probably struck me more than the narrative bits um character bits in you know the first the first half of the first season was rough yeah. um like there was promise there like you saw that it had potential um, but, but the first half of the first season was very rough and then, but then it, you know, it started to get better. Um, and, and even into the second season, the second season has, has a lot of, uh, you know, not, not great episodes in it, but they, but there's, there's some good ones. Measure of the measure of a man is in there. Yeah. Um, I really uh, like a matter of honor where Riker is uh, temporarily stationed aboard a plane. Yes, yes, that's a great episode. Um, so yeah, in, in fact, a matter of honor was right before me- the measure of a man. So they were um, on yeah. hot streak. Yeah, yeah. So there, I mean, there were some really, really good episodes in in season two, but then season three, you really start to see now. You know, uh, Doctor Crusher's back. um why why she was going the first place nobody knows um and but but yeah then it really started to pick up again and and uh and you know and now we're gonna hit uh some you know some of the best trek ever with you know best of both worlds coming up so yeah i mean look i'm not gonna say that there aren't stinkers in in seasons four through seven every show has them but um all things considered, I think uh, TNG's reputation is built primarily on those seasons. Right. And um, not everybody agrees with me, and that's totally fine. But um, I tend to think that each year gets better as it goes along. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. Like season two does have some some awesome episodes. I mean, the first appearance of the Borg was in season two. Right. And uh I've rarely seen, even now, like there's parts of it that come off as a little bit hokey, but you really get the formidability of the Borg in that first appearance. And that's due in no small part to the ability of John Delancey to talk them up. Right. Like, um, I remember, gosh, when I was, uh, 
sophomore in high school, I went with a friend to Las Vegas to Star Trek The Experience. Nice. And uh, right before you get on the line, or like, like it's still there, right before you got on the line to go on the Borg invasion portion of the like the ride, um, it just ha- it has props of Borg drones from First Contact, like behind glass next to you, oh, and nice. on a loop, it's playing just this best best hits of the Borg on a little TV screen, and the voiceover of that is Q saying, "You can't outrun them. You can't destroy them. If you damage them, the essence of what they are remains. They they will keep coming. Your reserves will run out. They are relentless." And it just it sets the tone, right? That you yeah. can't stop these people. And I'll be really interested to see. I mean, well, I mean, you've absorbed Voyager, you've absorbed DS9. Right. I honestly don't know who would win in like a full scale war between the Borg and the Dominion. I think that that's kind of a toss up, even considering the formidability of the Borg. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I guess it depends on how much of the Dominion is available and whether or not they have the productions of the drug. Sure. You know, catch you know, white. Yeah. Yeah, catch salt white. Yeah. So, uh, well, and you yeah. did make it through season one. Uh, you know, I think it was Jonathan Frakes who said yeah. that like one of his <laughs> least favorite episodes was code of honor from season yeah. one. Yeah. Which um, is super problematic these days. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Super. So, so what, what people, People seem to like that one sticks out as being super problematic. I uh, was actually on a podcast talking about that episode specifically. Really? Uh, where yes, where I called that ep- I called that uh, called it um, the Enterprise going to um, planet Wakanda for um, for the for the good weed. Um, <laughs> so. so um, but but what people fail to realize is that there are other problematic episodes in, sure. the, in that very beginning of the season. In fact, there isn't an, an integrated away uh, species uh, um, until like episode 10 or 12. Yeah. So like, you know, because after they come back from planet Wakanda, they go to the the Aryan hedonism planet. <laughs> and everyone is everyone is as blonde haired and fair eyed. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, and they really want to love you and they're all beautiful and you know uh, as as opposed to so like there was there were a lot of things going on and, and you know and and uh it's always interesting to visit the time capsules of you know that's why television is kind of so great um especially especially trek right because mm-hmm. trek is so much a a series of its time sure that that it really is a time capsule of the most hopeful version of our society at that moment yeah. Right. For the future. Right. Like these are we are presenting, you know, we are showing the world our our rep- our first date representative um, <laughs> for for, you know, a- and as our as our presentation of the future. And uh, it's very, very interesting to see what we thought that looked like 35 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so. that's true. Well, 
well said, and thankfully you're on the other side of of season one, two, and now almost three. I mean, you yeah. and you've seen some pretty solid ones already too. Yes, yeah. Yesterday's Enterprise, I think, is yes. a generally pretty popular one. Yeah, yeah. I find Captain's Holiday to be a lot of fun. That is so much fun. Um, that is that is a great episode. Uh, where what's the episode where uh, Data makes his oh the Offspring. Oh where yeah, he makes his daughter. Wow, uh, yeah. What a what a great episode, and that was right after uh, yesterday's Enterprise too. So yeah, um, that was yeah, great great episode. And you got to see uh, Starek in the twenty fourth yeah, century. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, um, that was. Oh man, they were there. Yeah, this was a great season. Now that I sit back and think about it, um, the one where Picard gets uh, he gets kidnapped. And they're all playing the goofy game, uh, Allegiance. <laughs> yeah, uh, with the door. Uh, that was weird. Uh, yeah, um, we, you know, our our first viewing of uh, Worf Worf's family and sins of the sins of the father. Yeah. Um, oh, if I do have a bone to pick with the show, sure. Um, in general, it's that. Everyone gets a love interest. Everyone gets a love interest except for Jordy. Right? Jordy's only love interest was the damn ship. Yeah, that's true. And then I when through the whole series. It, well, he he gets a love interest that is directly related to the construction of the ship. Right. Um right. but it also introduces a bit of a problematic element to it and right. um I mean, he gets he gets a couple of potential rendezvous, but you are not wrong. He is uh, he, he definitely comes up short in comparison with virtually everyone else, up to and including Captain Picard. Right. So and Data. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, and Data. I mean, it's uh, it, it is kind of strange to consider they they should they should bring Jordy back in season two of Picard just so we can see who he ended up with. Right. I think that that would be more than enough reason to bring Jordy back. In addition to the fact that he's just an awesome character. Yes. But um, now you're right. You're and and uh, and unfortunately, that's not something that gets rectified. But let me ask you: when you do get to the other side of TNG, mm-hmm. um, this is really the first series that you've had to consider in your um, reverse broadcast or rewatch movies. Are you going to? Oh, watch the TNG movies after this. Um, so I have seen I don't know, you know what? The only TNG movie that I have I for certain have seen uh and seen several times is First Contact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, yeah, right, right. Um I will watch I like I will definitely watch Nemesis and I'll go back and watch Generations because I've always jumped in and out of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, really, it's 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 Nemesis, it's Generations. Is there a, a third one that I'm missing? It was Generations, then First Contact, then Insurrection, right. and then Insurrection. Nemesis. Right, Insurrection is the one that yeah, I, I haven't seen that one either. Insurrection is odd just because it takes place during the Dominion War, but oh. only makes about like two mentions of it in dialogue, and the Enterprise is in a totally separate. Part. It's it's basically a ninety to one hundred and twenty minute episode of TNG. 
Okay. Uh, and, and not like a super notable one, just like right. it's a, it's a TNG adventure. Right. And okay. That's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the mind boggles. And I've told a lot of my friends this before. I mean, there was so much potential here. Maybe there wasn't enough box office dollars in it or whatever, but you could have done a DS9 TNG Dominion War crossover movie that would have just been balls to the wall. And I'd have loved that. Maybe even a little bit of mention from the Enterprise crew about, oh, hey, sorry, we couldn't make it to your wedding, Worf. Right, right, right. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, uh, so many, so many strange decisions. But well, um, it's great that you're jumping into TNG. There is a couple of other things that I wanted to to get to. So I say at the end of every episode that uh, we're going to read reviews of this show, and um, I've slacked on that. Not that there's an abundance of them. There, I can count on one hand how many there are. But we have we've had three in 2020 so far. Oh man, look! So there I we feel go. like that's I the need- same same number of episodes we've had in 2020. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Hi-oh! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, so I think I'd, I'd like to read them. So the first one was posted back on February 20th, and it's from a user on iTunes named Casey Trekkie FM, and he says the following in a five star review: Chris, the question master, always spot on. Thank you. Rachel, the realist. Cicero, the feeling philosopher. I need his voice in my life. Literally the sound of it. Oh, man. Zachy keeps it all in perspective. Every one of you brings a critical note to this composition, a vital chord to the opus that is Discovery Debrief. I can't get enough. And the diversity among the hosts, vital and needed in our world today. Hashtag go Picard. Hashtag go Disco. Oh man, I you know I want to get that like painted on my wall. Yeah, above. like that was awesome. That's a very nice review. Thank so you. so thank you very much for that, and it's much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, the second one came out just a few days later on February twenty eighth from a man named Clark, and uh, it just says, "Nice to find a podcast about New Trek from some of the best people." So that's a very nice review. Thank you, Clark, for your Thank very you. positive review. Thank you. Cal L coming in and just <laughs> spreading some hope. And the last Love. one was posted uh, relatively recently on September the 1st. And uh, it's from a user called Exorcist. And uh, this is all from, from Cicero because he says in his five-star review, discovered debrief due to Cicero's participation in Podcast Unlocked. As I was watching Picard and enjoyed it so much, I went back and rewatched Discovery just to listen to the podcasts about the episodes and have read books they discuss and have reconnected with Star Trek because of the podcast. Right on. And that's awesome. I I love to hear it. We have uh, exercised that space from the exorcist that was the whole of his Star Trek love, and we have (laughs) filled it. With hope, I love it. This well, and great. it's a good opportunity for me to to thank you, Cicero, because ever since you were on a couple of episodes of Podcast Unlocked, you have attracted a, a number of new people to Discovery Debrief, which just makes me the more frustrated at myself <laughs> for not actually getting episodes out and, and taking advantage of the fact that more people <laughs> care about what we have to say. So. 
that's a whole thing, but, um, <laughs> but much appreciated, of course, my friend. Um, oh. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that people wanted to seek out more of what you had to say and found us in the process. That's, that's awesome. It, it is, is an awesome thing. Thank you guys for, for coming along. Welcome to our home. Uh, welcome to our starship. Uh, there is a role and a space for everyone. So, um, you know, just, uh, come on and, uh, allow our captain to take you to some strange new worlds. <laughs> well, we are always going to try and, uh, and do that. But, um, but we have, uh, the majority of a season to talk about here. So let's move on to our general review of Star Trek Lower Decks season one. So the last time we got together, we talked about the first two episodes, Second Contact and Envoys. So that right. leaves eight episodes for us to, <laughs> to pretty much go over. I don't think that either of us really have the time or the inclination to do a blow by blow for every single episode. But, right. um, you know, the, 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 again, that's just back to my, my poor planning. But just to give a really, really dirty overview of what happened this season, there's an excellent and very concise summary written by the fine editors at Memory Alpha. So uh, here it is. Ensign Devon Attendee enthusiastically begins her new assignment aboard the USS Cerritos, a California-class starship specializing in second contact missions, doing the follow-up grunt work of the crews boldly going where no one has gone before. She quickly befriends Ensign's Brad Boimler, Beckett Mariner, and Sam Rutherford, collectively nicknamed the Lower Decks, as Mariner points out, that is where the real action happens. The Cerritos, under the command of Captain Carol Freeman, proceeds to aid the, Gallard, the, bleh, the Gallardonians in the construction of a communications array while dealing with the effects of a rage virus, delivers Klingon General Corrin to Tolgana 4, and diplomatic trinkets to Gelrec 5. Other missions include aiding the relocation of an ancient generation ship, assisting with the demolition of one of Mixtus III's moons, fending off Drukmani scavengers, and providing support to the Quopa. All the while, Captain Freeman is keeping an especially close and untrusting eye on Ensign Mariner, as the two have kept secret that they are mother and daughter. As Boimler aspires to be more promotable, Mariner works to teach Boimler the importance of doing what is right, even when it means breaking the rules, and the budding of Tendi and Rutherford's friendship, the secret of Mariner and Freeman's relationship, comes out. The Cerritos is nearly destroyed before it is saved by the Lower Deck's quick thinking, the sacrifice of Chief of Security Shax, and a last-minute assist by Captain William T. Riker of the USS Titan. And holy hell, do I have something to say about that. <laughs> you hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, that that is a, a summary that is effective. It's just sort of communicating what happened over the course of the season. But there is so much nuance here. And um, at, at the end of the day, Cicero, give me an idea – before the season started, what were you expecting from this show, particularly as a canonical entry in the Star Trek universe? And did it meet your expectations? Did it exceed them? Did it fall below them? What's your overall impression of Lower Decks now that season one's in the rear view? So, um, you know, I don't know if I had very real expectations of what this uh, show pretended for uh, – for the the franchise at, 
on as a whole or even me as a as a fan and you know and so like my expectations were just all right it's supposed to be a comedy i guess uh rick and morty guys all right i don't really know anything about them but all right i'll you know i'll watch it um so you know my expectations were low uh so it's it's not a it's not a a a huge deal that it exceeded my expectations but it far exceeded my expectations and and you know and, and I I I love this show. I thought the show was brilliant. Um it's dumb, sure, but it's <laughs> but it is but it is also very very good and it's also brilliant um in so much that in the same way that the Orville like you know when we were talking about discovery and you know and how as as always when there is new trek to, to come, that comes out um, someone, someone, or a a not insignificant minority is yelling, "Not my trek!" Right? right. And uh, when Discovery came out, and the "Not my trekkers" came out to "Not my trek" Discovery, I kept saying that if if that is you know if that's the hill you're going to die on, then the Orville is your trek. Right. right. Watch watch that watch that not Star Trek Star Trek show. Um, because the Orville is brilliant uh, with with respect to their the trekkiness of their stories, of the stories that they tell, along with the potty humor of Seth MacFarlane. And that, you know, it started to temper a little and the stories got better and the comedy got a little bit more uh, smart and and the comedy wasn't necessarily bathroom jokes it was now interpersonal jokes because we knew the characters more and we could we could play off of their stereotypes and their tropes as opposed to these goofy things and it made the Orville a better show as a result of it we got a lot of that here in lower decks but also the fact that we got to see people that absolutely understood what Star Trek was, especially not only what Star Trek was, but what Star Trek was in the 24th century. Um, And uh, they were, you know, they were so, so in the weeds with the nerdiness of the show, but it, but like the comedy was there. uh, And uh, like two things happened. One, um, this show taught me a lot about myself. Right. Um, because I was almost I was 30 seconds away from not not my trekking lower decks. Hmm. And um, and then I realized, like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Like Zachy said, Trek is what the creators of Trek say Trek is. And much like Star Wars, I'm going all over the genres. Right. Much like Star Wars, we've got now nine movies where they feature people using lightsabers and having the force and doing all the stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing that people love in star Wars right now is a story about a Mandalorian, not somebody who has the force, not some guy who's going to save the universe. He's just a dude. He's carrying around an adorable little baby Yoda. Um, and you know, they're just kind of doing a thing like the universe is there. It's established. Like let's see stories, and have genres uh, that aren't what we're used to anymore. It can still be the thing you love, 
even if it's not in the flavor that you used to love it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is there. And that's what's brilliant about this is like the comedy was good, but like the trek was good and it got, it went from good to great to HFS, man. Like by the end of it, it was like, whoa, um, this show, fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, and point to fact, last, our last episode, I, I asked, openly asked if, if I thought people who weren't uh, fans of the franchise would be interested in the show, would get the show. Well, my stepson doesn't like, he's seen the, some of the Kelvin movies, but never, never watched star Trek. Um, watched lower decks and was like, Oh, this is funny. And started watching it, finished lower decks. So I think he still has to watch the finale. And now he's watching the Orville and loves the Orville. Um, because Lower Decks brought him into, into, it was his introduction into the Star Trek franchise. Um, it's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. Man. Well, I, I don't, I don't really know how to follow that because I'm just going to be like, well, you know, the ships looked pretty cool. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, look, I'm, I'm, um, in terms of your starting position, Right. And uh, I, I was probably pretty close there. You know, I I don't really know if I had any anticipation for this show. Mm-hmm. And it was that was very unusual territory for me to be in. Just because, you know, as someone who felt like he waited an eternity between Enterprise and Discovery for Star Trek on TV again, uh, the idea on paper in my mind to uh, – make a, a comedic animated series out of it did not seem like the direction I wanted to go to. But at the same time, that came from a caution for and aversion to uh, a franchise that I love being parodied officially, right. you know, right. where like my perception was that Lower Decks had the great potential to be an official Star Trek branded parody of itself uh, that pokes fun at the franchise instead of celebrating the franchise. And I could not have been more incorrect in my assumption. And I'm really pleased that that's the case because the great thing, at least to me, about Lower Decks is that it is legitimately funny in a lot of places, but it's not funny in a way that feels condescending. It's funny in a way that like anybody who watches an episode or a movie of Star Trek is going to raise natural questions about some of the more ridiculous elements of it. And if, if you live in the real world and you compare that to the world that the characters of Star Trek uh, inhabit, there are going to be some unusual incongruities there. And Lower Decks did the the right thing in pointing those out, but not trying to dismantle them just kind of going along with it. And it honestly makes it more funny than calling it out. At least I think. Yeah. So, um, but then on top of that, you, if, if you take the franchise as generally seriously as I do, then you ask natural questions about, well, if it's just humor, then isn't it going to be 
uh, isn't it going to feel cheapened, especially as a canonical extension of, of Star Trek? And it wasn't that either. It, it The cores of all the characters in, in between the really zany jokes and the kooky things that can happen in animation, there were hearts to characters that felt very much at home in this universe. And I think that that was something that was really, really excellently emphasized by uh, the episode, I think it was the second to last episode where Mariner makes that movie on the holodeck that right, she stars yes, in yes. and is forced to yes. confront a perfect version of herself right. who exemplifies everything that you want a Starfleet officer to be. And you saw roots of that over the course of the whole season when Mariner's friend who's a captain comes aboard. and that was uh, the episode before that. Right, yeah. She stumbles over herself in trying to to not get the attention that she knows she's going to get because she's an excellent officer at heart. Uh, you get the sense that, you know, she, the, the persona that she puts on is one that hides the fact that the Federation and what Starfleet stand for are things that she truly believes in and exemplifies when the going gets tough. That doesn't mean that she doesn't have a disdain for authority but she just chooses to do things that a she knows she can get away with probably because her mom's the CEO of the Cerritos, but also too, uh, poking fun at something doesn't mean you don't believe in it. And what an, a message for that entire show! Like Mariner is lower decks. Yeah. She is the person that you want by your side every step of the way, even if she's throwing a batleth at your leg. Uh, and trying to to screw off, you know, it's uh, it's the root of everything that really gets to the heart of what makes Lower Decks a natural extension of Star Trek, just in a different guise. So this show absolutely won me over in a way that I was not expecting it to, nor was I really seeking for it to. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've never been more happy to be wrong about something. I don't think. Yeah, um and, and you know and what uh what is really great is it's like the last two episodes of the, of the season when you get to uh, uh episode 9 where uh Mariner's making the the movie in the holodeck that is using uh next generation movie font. <laughs> um, and uh like you know, everything about that was so meta, you didn't think it could get any better than that. Yeah. And then they topped that. Um, and connected enterprise in all of in all of the, the madness of it all. Um <laughs> no, it's, with, it, with, it, with it's Riker. Broke. That like it was it was so damn good. So damn good. Uh, uh, you know, again, uh, I echo everything that you're saying, Chris, that uh, I, you know, I didn't expect it to be a thing. I don't know that I was expecting it to be anything. Um, and yes, I was afraid that it, you know, it, 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 by all rights, it should have just been a parody of Star Trek. Yeah. But it, but it wasn't. And, you know, and the other thing is, Rachel said this ab- about, um, some of the Picard episodes, I think, but like uh, with this is even more remarkable. This show was narratively dense um, 
in terms of like every episode had a lot going on in it for a 23 minute episode. Like they felt like full length TNG episodes in terms of like there was an A plot, a B plot, a C plot. Um, and, and they were able to, to go through them, um, with acts with, where like you would typically see in all of the procedural Star Trek episodes where like, oh, okay, we think we've got it. And then at the end, right before the second act ends and the third act begins, there's some calamity that they have to now solve again. Um, and it happens every single time. And like, and they're able to do that while throwing in jokes like Badgie the holodeck, you know, com badge that, that becomes sentient and wants to kill his dad, Rutherford. Like seems inspired by it. Wasn't it Clippy in Clippy. MS office? Yeah. yeah it's Clippy. Um, <laughs> the murderous Clippy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah it's just, it's so, it was so really, really good. Um, and yeah. And again, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at, like the trekkiness of each of the episodes events. Mm-hmm. Um, they like, they, they would have been equally at home on an episode of Voyager or a TNG. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Just in a different guise. I mean, the, right, that, right. And, and that's how you know that, um, that everyone who's involved in the writing of this show, they, they did their homework or they certainly did at least enough of it to, to make it feel like real Star Trek. But I mean, they also just tossed in, I can't, I I would need three or four separate episodes to talk about all of the packed in Easter eggs for the entire franchise that just makes it feel more, makes it feel like the more lived in world that, you know, we wanted additional perspective for. And and now, especially after the season finale, who knows, we could end up getting more new and viable and solid information about other characters that we maybe haven't seen in a while. Right. Um, right. Because I got to say that the end of that season finale was not something I was expecting, but not um, at all. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. None of it. Yeah. No, no, no. Packlets. Oh, you just saw the packlets, probably. Right. Yes. Yes, I did. Exactly. I was. It was so great to uh, have like seen because had I seen no small parts prior to seeing that episode with like Jordy does more stuff on the away mission with the packlets than he <laughs> does getting a love interest. Um, but like. Had I, you know, had I not seen that episode prior to seeing No Small Parts, all of that stuff would have been lost on me. Like, yeah, I would have, like, I think I probably would have been able to figure it out. But, like, you know, having having that knowledge and especially having it, you know, sitting in the in the fore of my mind was was definitely uh, very beneficial. Absolutely. And that's the fun of this universe, you know, where where when Mariner finds out that Boimler's transferred to the Titan, she says, I'm going to feed you to an Armus. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Better take a shower afterward. Those are the kinds of references that, that uh, it doesn't need to be there for someone like your, uh, like your stepson. But for for those people who have been keeping up with the franchise for a while, 
it just enriches the tapestry. And I think that that's, um, I think that's a really cool thing to aim for. And, do- and you know what, if you're, if you're like my stepson, hopefully your level of enjoyment to these things will encourage you to find out, to enrich in those jokes by watching, you know, watching the franchise on, on mass. Well, and you, you know, you, you bring up a, um, you bring up an interesting point because by talking about the idea of uh, the, the the idea that this is a franchise that can deliver more than the story that you expect it to, right. it seems like that is kind of a transformational moment that turns Star Trek less into a franchise and more into like a medium in and of itself mm. that can contain a bunch of different kinds of stories. I mean, yeah. You see it go around the world through all of the shows in in different facets. Uh, I would argue that the most, uh, I guess, reflexive or elastic Star Trek series is probably DS Nine. But you see it. You see shades of different kinds of genres of storytelling in every series. And um, really, like it, it goes back to something that I, a, a distinction that was taught to me, not directly certainly secondhand by the great Neil Gaiman about comics specifically. Uh, comics is a medium and not a genre. It's some, it's a picture that you can fill up with whatever you want. You know, it doesn't, it, it's not always superheroes. It's not always adventure stories. Uh, it's any kind of story just delivered in this way. And Star Trek is not a medium unto itself, but lower decks helps to prove its versatility in delivering different kinds of stories. So I think that point that you made earlier is very well taken and very excellently emphasized by all 10 of these episodes. And I'm really excited to see what direction it goes in next. And I think part of that is helped by the half hour format. You know, yes. yep. it's, it doesn't feel like it overstays its welcome each time, but it also feels substantive in a way that I wasn't expecting. So. And it, and it actually also makes uh, sorry, Chris. I keep cutting you off, but no, no, it, it it also makes it a lot easier to recommend to jaded fans of the franchise. Sure, um, you know um, that has been a thing that I have been as I've as I've had uh, luckily have had conversations with with lots of fans of the franchise over the last uh, few months, uh, or at least since. Uh, since it released, since Lower Decks released, um, I have been able to tell tell people, oh, give it, you know, give it three, four episodes. Um, and, you know, there are only a half an hour. You know, there are 22 minutes if you don't have commercials. Um, and so, you you know, you can, you can do that. And it like, like you can hear the eyebrow raise when when you say that oh it's only a half an hour and you're you know you're reminding people of that they realize like oh okay well the commitment's not that great um and i can do four episodes of of this show to give it a shot and by the time you get to the fourth episode you're in you're in cuz you you love star trek yeah you realize that right point. you 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 realize you realize that these guys love star trek too and and like again you know I think about the MCU, right? In the beginning of the MCU, we got much of the same movie um, with just with different lead characters. 
mm-hmm. right? We we got very very much paint by number, excellent, but very much paint by number, um, you know, origin story superhero films. But but by the time we were, you know, we got to phase two of the MCU, we started to see the tonal shifts in in the individual character franchises. You know, Winter Soldier is one of the greatest espionage films made this century. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh the Ant Man, the original Ant Man, is an incredible heist movie. Uh, Captain Marvel is a buddy cop film. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were able to see the differences, even though they're all MCU, MCU films, just like you were saying, Chris, that they, you know, that it's, it's almost like it's becoming a medium. And, and that is what we're getting to see with Star Trek. And that's, that is something that I know that I had to overcome and, and my prejudices against what Star Trek could be. Uh, and especially when it came to lower decks, um, and, you know, and if we get rid of those and we become more accepting as we get all of the, you know, there are all of these perspective shows coming to the franchise, uh, via Paramount or CBS all access, whatever it's called now. Um, like if we get rid of that prejudice, it'll allow you to enjoy what, this version of Trek is a lot faster, or at least give you the chance to look at it um, unbiasedly so that you can make a very uh, informed decision about your level of enjoyment um, of, of that particular flavor of Star Trek. Yeah, that's very, I think that point is very well taken and of course, very well expressed as usual. Um I'm going to put you on the spot, though. If you had okay. to pick a favorite character that you've gone on the journey with over the course of this season, can you nail it down? Um. So, well, so Boimler is kind of like he's supposed to be our avatar. He very much feels like Fry. Like every time I see him, I want to call him, you know, Stephen J. Fry. Um, <laughs> but... But like, I so I love, I loved Shax. Yeah. Um, because you know, first off, he's he's Bajoran, and you're like, oh, cool, a Bajoran on you know on a, a Federation ship, but also like, he was like he was both every security offer officer stereotype and then also not every security yeah. officer stereotype at at the same time like he was just an enigma because he was all about busting some you know busting some ass but he was also about giving people giant bear hugs and just being like the most jovial person in the room and he uh you know spoiler alerts but you shouldn't be listening to this if you haven't watched the show, unless it's just to hear that you should be going to watch the show. So stop it right now and watch the show. Then you can come back. And I'm not, now I'm happy that you're back. It's it's um you know like when it's all said and done, it's he died like a G. Like he went out with like that was man that was some hero stuff right there, man. And you know it was it was. 
the perfect amount of spice to add to this nonsense soup that is this show to like it really like that spice made all the nonsense even sweeter because they knew how to add that in there um it was it was great yeah yeah he was I, a great I, character. I i i really enjoyed shacks as well um i don't know if like I, I really appreciated the journey that Boimler went on, especially as someone who had to sort of discover the um, the value of breaking the rules. Right. But um, I was bought into Mariner, man. I think that, oh, yeah. uh, that she was – I mean, obviously, she, she's the character that we primarily go on the journey with, so I'm probably going to be predisposed to liking her a lot. But – I think she does a good job of sort of being in the mold of what you would expect from a typical Star Trek lead while shunning additional responsibility. Like that's the thing that makes her unique, but the shunning of additional responsibility does not come with carelessness. Like she's actually very careful in the way that she chooses to go about uh, the choices that she makes in her career. Um, Maybe that wasn't always the case. We started to get some indications about what she was like um, before the the Cerritos, but I the the dynamic between Mariner and Captain Freeman was something that was surprisingly touching in a way that I wasn't expecting, and I really loved, even though he's like super thin, uh, it, but because he's designed to be, and is probably the closest character who approaches parody, uh, Commander Ransom was. Yes hilarious yes Yes. uh and i mean jerry o'connell is a is an actor who i think has he's done a lot in recent years to become sort of a more prominent voice actor he's actually a really solid voice for superman in the slate of uh of dc animated movies but uh, he also played shazam or captain marvel in um justice league unlimited but i watched him in sliders when i was a kid yeah and, absolutely uh, so did i yeah it was, it was cool and so seeing that he's a part of star trek now and playing a character like that just seems like a really perfect fit and uh and yeah ransom was hilarious but yeah i mean i could go on man dr tiana yeah. oh man <laughs> so, like you almost expect a show like this to have cat jokes if you're going to have Acadian as your chief medical officer. But um, I just loved how she, she was comically gruff. Like she was Dr. McCoy on steroids, right? You know, like probably not as racist as Dr. McCoy, but very, very (laughs) much. And I say that with, with love for Dr. McCoy. I love Dr. McCoy, but he he said some pretty racist things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Dr. Tiana, I thought was a really cool addition. Uh, And the sort of the bubbliness of, of Devon attendee. Yes. Seemed a little out of place, all things considered, but I think that was by design. Well, she was so Tendi was the Tilly of of that ensemble yeah yeah that's true and and, uh you know but but again uh, much like tilly you were never like once you were introduced to her um and you realize like oh yeah she really does have this she's kind of she's kind of aloof and she's kind of naive to the world 
but you also knew that she knew her stuff. Yeah. Right. And there was never a question. Her competence was never a question. In fact, you always knew that she was, you know, if she wasn't the smartest person in the room, she was among the most smart, uh, most smart people in the room. And, uh, and, and that was great about her character. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. And I mean, she, she fits in very well in, in this show. And uh, in terms of Boimler, I love that his name is not Bradley. It's Bradward. Brad. <laughs> yeah. I, that's Bradward, that's, that's right. just such a nice, but also inconsequential touch that just makes it a little weirder. And I, and I really appreciate that. Uh, I, I feel bad. I haven't said anything about Rutherford, but um, I feel like there's still a lot to explore with him, especially yeah. now that, I mean, again, spoiler alert, but with his implant removed and his memory pretty much wiped out, uh, is he kind of a blank slate again? That's kind of the impression that I got. Yeah, I, like I mean, they have really opened themselves up with uh, with Boimler being on the Titan, um, and you know, and Rutherford being being at, at, at least having temporary amnesia or maybe permanent amnesia, um, and kind of relearning everything. Um, they have opened themselves up to endless possibilities for uh for the you know for the next season and then beyond right uh, i am i am really really excited you know like again this is this is one of those things and you know and and again like i will go back to the things that i said and my feelings about the orville it, it like this was a was not a show that i knew that i needed in my life but now that it's here, I want it there and I don't want it to go away, um, you know, because it was done so well. Right. And like, you know, it, again, like I knew I was saying it's not my trek because tonally it was different than my trek. But then what I realized is Trek's not the tone. Trek is the stories. Right. And as long as you're telling those stories, it is Trek and this is Trek. And and like I like anime, animated stuff. I like comedies. So why can't I like animated comedic Star Trek? Of course I can. There it is. And and it's fantastic. And it should exist. Just to put a finer point on it, when you talk about your Trek, uh, what exactly when you think of your trek what what's the first thing that comes to mind well you know so for me it is uh telling telling modern day parables right telling mm-hmm. uh stories where um we can we can see an event that is happening and um understand that we have a set of rules a guideline that that we that we have to live by that we can, you know, then proliferate to the rest of the galaxy and, and, you know, ostensibly the universe um, that fosters hope and goodwill amongst all species. And, you know, we'll laugh and we'll cry and, you know, maybe we'll have to fight to, to make those things happen, but we're out there trying to be, Forces for uh, intellectual moral good. If that is no, that makes that makes perfect sense. 
So it's yeah. not necessarily like a specific show as much as a set of no. ideas. It's a set of ideas. And 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 specifically this show helped me to articulate that even better even though the way I articulated it was very clumsily. No, you I think you did a really effective job. I mean, that encompasses a lot of what Star Trek is at its best. So now that you say that, I totally get why you would have thought going into this that, yeah, this isn't going to be that. Why would it be? But um, now the fact that they managed to hit those marks and still be a comedy show and still be a cartoon and still be Star Trek and still be all of those things at the same time, that's that's saying something. And uh, and it sounds like we've got more to look forward to, which is great. Um, And it'll be interesting to see, you know, by the time you do get to TOS – uh, I loved in the season finale of this, they made a direct mention to a computer that controlled a society in a season one episode of TOS called The Return of the Archons with Landrew. And they even looked at a picture of Kirk and Spock yes. that was from the animated series, right. <laughs> or at least in the style of the animated series. No, and no, I think it was an actual, it was an actual cell from the animated series. That's awesome. That's, that's terrific. I mean, and and I mean, again, it just lower. De- the, one of the things that I just love as a Star Trek fan about Lower Decks is that it brings everything into the fold and really does feel like a celebration of the franchise, um, which is a far cry from what my worst fears were, which is that it would be some kind of bastardization of the franchise. But no. Uh, now that it's here, I'm with you, man. I'm glad that it's here, and I hope that it's going to be around for a while. I don't know if they've uh, – I, I didn't do my due diligence in seeing if they had announced a window for season two yet, but um, Mike McMahon did say it is coming. So that's very encouraging, and we'll have to see what happens uh, in the future. But um, yeah, well, you know, yeah, I think everything is kind of everything's in flux because you ruined the year, Chris. So, so Chris, I'll ask you sure. if I may. Absolutely. What, what, or who would you like to see in season two of Lower Decks? That's a good question. Um, I think that they should reserve the more top level quote unquote epic Star Trek characters for their own exploitations. There are certainly a lot of question marks left in the 24th century that I would like to see further explored. But in terms of what I'd like to see incorporated into lower decks, um, show me the enterprise. Because I think it would be kind of interesting to see. So by this point, we know that Picard is probably still in command. He's probably still at least a few years away from being promoted and uh, and going on to become an admiral to try and oversee the evacuation of Romulus. But um, depending on how long the show goes on for, I think uh, I would love to see sort of canonical confirmation of something that was asserted in the Picard prequel novel that Worf ended up becoming the next captain of the Enterprise. I think that that huh. would be I, – I, I, and honestly, I mean, Worf is such a great character who's also – like he's a source of epic familial drama, but he's also a really excellent source of humor. 
The, and Michael Dorn is a spectacular voice actor. Yes. I would love to see Worf. I think that there's certainly plenty of room for Worf and maybe even a couple of the other quote unquote ancillary characters from the 24th century that we don't necessarily know too much about beyond Nemesis. Like what is Ezri Dax up to? And I'm not saying that because I'm totally biased. Um, (laughs) You know, what's Dr. Bashir up to? What's happening on DS9? Uh, I think that that would be cool. There is a rumor Uh, It's not necessarily tied to lower decks, but there is a rumor that has cropped up recently that conversations are starting to happen with Avery Brooks. Something like that I I don't think is appropriate for lower decks. Exactly. Um, I agree. But, uh, you know, I I think we could all use Ben Sisko uh, just the same way that we can use Jean-Luc Picard right now. Right, right. But uh, there's there's a lot, man. Uh, give Badgie his own show. Why the hell not? <laughs> uh, I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, no, but uh, there's there's a lot to explore, especially considering the era that it takes place in, the question marks that are left on uh, on a bunch of different fronts for Star Trek. Hey, what the hell is Tom Paris up to? Oh, you know? wow. Yeah. I mean, we – Kind of have an idea of what Seven of Nine got up to now, and I'm sure that we're going to get more of an idea as time goes on. But um, yeah, maybe some of those Voyager crew members in the Titan novels. Uh, I'm not sure if he was EXO because I've only I think I've only read part of one of them, so I probably need to do more. But he was a high level officer. Tuvok was on the Titan. Oh really? Um, oh, the the, okay. the novels kind of posited that the Titan was unusual as as a Starfleet ship, and it was a point of pride that either less or right at fifteen percent of the crew was actually human, and the majority of the crew was made up of alien species. Ah, okay. And uh, who knows who's stationed on the Titan? If Tuvok wound up on the Titan, I think that would be really cool. Uh, I think there's plenty more room for Q. Q had one of the best cameos oh, of man. any Star Trek thing I've ever seen in Lower Decks. That was fantastic. And it was- it Not was, now, Q. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! <laughs> Turned the chessboard. Oh, my God. It was just it was pitch perfect. I, I, I would hug Mike McMahon if there wasn't a pandemic on. Um, no, but definitely a lot of room. I See, you asked me that question, man. I could go on. I really could. So, you know, what's funny is you've named uh, uh, like an entire season's worth of characters. The one character that I was thinking of that I thought maybe you'd say you didn't. And, you know, here's the Titan. He was last rumored to be on the Titan um, after he came back from the Traveler. Oh, the one and only Mr. Wesley Crusher. Um, that's a character that I think would fit in perfectly. I think you're right. In, in, in an episode or two, like I would love to see Crusher, um, potentially going with Boimler back to the Cerritos and, um, getting, having a thing with, uh, with Mariner. Like sure. that could happen. Yeah, you know, yeah, I could why see not? That. I mean, and honestly, too, like Wesley, and I mean, well, you haven't you haven't finished TNG yet, but I'm I'm sure you have an idea of some of the things that he went on to do. Um, There's a lot of question marks around 
what the hell was Wesley up to by the end of yep. TNG? What happened between yep. TNG and his non-speaking cameo appearance in Star Trek Nemesis? Right. Um, there's a lot of stuff there. And frankly, a lot of it would probably be comedic fodder that uh, that would probably be funny, especially for Star Trek fans and probably for Will Wheaton. Yeah. So yeah, seeing Wesley again would be, would be great. But y- you know, I... Give me Chicote. What the hell is Chicote up to? Oh man. Oh yeah. I, um, I think uh getting getting some kind of interactions between Chicote and, and Mariner might be interesting and kind of a clash of styles, but hey, who knows? Robert Beltran might want to stay as far away from Star Trek as he can. I know he still <laughs> makes convention appearances, but oh, there you go. He, he's definitely critical of some of the directions that Voyager went hey, into. I'm sure I'm sure if they call and if uh you know the 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 check looks good enough, he'll 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 sit behind a booth. Oh sure. He'll yeah. sit behind I, a microphone. So. I mean I would hope so. But also too, I mean, who knows, man? I mean, they're considering the the temporal shenanigans that are going on right now. Uh yeah. who who know, maybe maybe a, a Burnham would show up in a cameo on lower decks or uh they could go to the mirror. The mirror universe would probably be really interesting fodder for a comedy show. Yes, uh, and we—I mean—we kind of got a glimpse of that on the on the holodeck in the penultimate right. episode. But yeah, yeah, it would be fun. Um, yeah, yeah, and I—I I think that if the if the show runs long enough, I think that all, if not if some, if not all of the ideas that we we've, we've tossed around will will make will make an appearance in we'll some revisit form or this. By the time season two of Lower Decks ends, and uh, we'll see how many of these could have made it in. I sure, think that's a good that's a good thought. Well, Cicero, um, do you have any final thoughts you want to share on Lower Decks season one? If you haven't watched this, how did you get this far? Um, now that you have, you understand how great it is. Um, yeah, I, I like. I'm very bullish on Star Trek right now. And I don't know that I would have said that even after season one of discovery, which I thought was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I'm, I am very bullish on Star Trek. I was worried that they were just going to, to um, you know, people would have Star Trek fatigue, um, but they have done a really good job of uh, at least so far with the three shows that they have out right now. Uh, creating stuff that is different enough, um, that I, I don't tire of the of the franchise. Yeah, I, I hope that continues. That's saying something, I think. And uh, we certainly have a lot to look forward to. Uh, this show surprised the hell out of me. If you thought you would be averse to watching it and are as big of Star Trek fans as Cicero and I, reconsider. Um, I think there's a lot here to to potentially enjoy. And, um, you know, if it's not for you, you don't have to watch it. But chances are, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're going to like something out of this. I think that that's reasonably safe to say. But a lot of stuff to look forward to in the next several weeks. So obviously, the next major event in the Star Trek franchise is the premiere of season three of our namesake show, Star Trek Discovery. Um We want to bring as many of our recaps of that to you as possible, but full disclosure, you know, scheduling is a little bit insane for a lot of us right now. (laughs) Um, 
So we'll we'll do our best, but the next time that we all get together, we'll be with our full panel to discuss either the first or the first couple of episodes of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Uh, we're really looking forward to the show as usual. We're curious to see the directions that the far future can take the franchise, right. the discoveries, no pun intended, that the crew will make about what has happened in history. Uh, I would love to hear Burnham talk about her discovery of the Dominion, but um, a lot of stuff to look forward to. But as for right now, that's going to do it for episode number 54 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss a brand new adventure from the final frontier aboard the Starship Discovery. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. Mm-hmm.